Uh, fun game for us to do. But, but I want to come back to that very last question and ruminate on it for a minute. The very last question was, um, who of these people have been said to see God, right? And we talked about Jacob sees God. Remember, he wrestles with God uh, in the Old Testament. And Moses sees God on Mount Sinai. And Isaiah has the um, vision of God where he says, I saw the Lord high and exalted in His temple. They're not the only ones in Scripture that see God, but they're just three that kind of come to mind. And, and I wanted you to think about that because there's one line in our Scripture tonight that I kind of bumped on when I read it this year. Um, and, and I bumped on it because it didn't seem quite right. So John says in chapter 1, verse 18, that no one has seen God. No one has seen God. And I know that John knows the Old Testament way better than Jim knows the Old Testament. But I wanted to raise my hand and say, excuse me, John, um, I'm not sure that's quite correct. Because I know that Jacob saw God, and Moses saw God, and Isaiah saw God, and all the other people saw God. And if he was here to have this conversation with me, I think John might respond by saying, yeah, they did, but Jim, they only saw a little bit of God, right? Isaiah saw a vision of God, not God in the flesh. And, and Jacob wrestled with an angel, right? Which was God, but it was an angel. It wasn't really God, God. And Moses gets to see the backside glory of God, but not the front, not the face. Uh, and, and that's not to belittle those experiences. In fact, I, I think John would say those were really a pretty big deal. In fact, if you go back and read some of those stories in the Old Testament, there's a lot of folks that um, get to see a little bit of God, right? A, a, a part of God, like a half measure. And it's, it's enormous. And in fact, it's often kind of scary, right? I mean, people see God in the Old Testament and, and they're like frightened. And sometimes they're not sure they're going to survive, right? To see God is sometimes might mean you're going to die because He's so holy and wonderful and glorious and good, and we are so not. Uh, even when the angels show up, right? Remember when the shepherds are in the fields watching their flocks by night, and the angels show up, and they say, do not be afraid, right? Because they're terrified. Because even, even seeing a little bit of God, even in an angel, is really quite overwhelming. We, we know that seeing God is a little scary, not just from the Bible, but also from that other really important spiritual text called Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? Uh, and if you've seen Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know how that movie ends. If you haven't, uh, spoiler alert, it was 40 years ago. It's your own fault, okay? So at, at the end of that film, um, the bad guys, the Nazis, get um, the, the Ark of the Covenant, right? Like the thing from the Old Testament that the Ten Commandments were in that was like the throne of God. And they open it. And Indiana and Marion, the good guys, are smart enough to close their eyes, but the Nazis keep their eyes open. And first it's this beautiful display of spiritual things, and then it gets scary real fast, and then their faces melt, right? And it's, it's pretty gross, not, not appropriate for Christmas Eve worship service. Um, there are no melting of faces in the Old Testament, by the way, I just want you to be aware of that. Um, but that idea right, that seeing God is, is actually kind of risky, kind of dangerous, that is kind of a biblical idea. Uh, and in fact, uh, God even says to Moses, uh, to see my face is, is to die. You can't see my face and live. And yet, while looking at God, at seeing God is kind of risky, um, the Scriptures seem to suggest that it's worth the risk. 
And, and we have all these other texts in the Old Testament that talk about how much people desire to see God and see God's face. So, for example, in the Psalms, we get this a lot. Uh, Psalm 27 says, Come, my heart says, seek His face. Your face, Lord, do I seek. Do not hide your face from me. Or, uh, in the Old Testament, <clears throat> we get the, the blessing that, that we use as a benediction every week. Right? At the end of the service, I always say, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. So this idea that, that God's um, presence, seeing God, and especially seeing the fullness of God, that's what we mean by the face of God, right? The fullness of God, because God doesn't literally have a face. Um, seeing the fullness of God, the face of God, is this dangerous and awesome thing, Right? scary and wonderful uh, to be cautious about and also to be sought out. Uh, that if we are um, really seeking after God, then the greatest desire of our heart is to see Him. And the greatest danger of a selfish life is to see Him. So we come back to John uh, where he says, no one has seen God. And I think John's point is that all those people in the Old Testament, the ones that saw God and were terrified, the ones that were so desperate and wanted to see God in His righteousness and holiness and goodness, they only ever got to see these half measures, right? Visions and angels and backside glory. But then Jesus comes, and the Word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen His glory. From His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made Him known. For generations, the Israelites to this point had been hoping and fearing and preparing to see God's face. They've been using this as their blessing and as their warning. They have quaked in terror at the smallest portion of His presence and ached with anticipation for His coming. And now, for the first time in the history of history, God literally has a face. And they get to see the fullness of God, the, the completeness of Him, not as an angel or a vision, but as a tiny little baby laid in a manger. And I wonder what this would have been like for Mary and Joseph. Right? I mean, Mary and Joseph get it as much as anybody gets it. They know how special this child is. And uh, they, they know that he's conceived of the Holy Spirit, that he's going to be called the Son of God. We all know that beautiful song, Mary, did you know? Uh, Mary, did you know when you kiss your little baby, you kiss the face of God? Um, Think of what that means for a, a Jewish person, right? That this is the great hope and also the great danger of our lives to know God face to face. Probably Mary and Joseph, like any parent, had a normal mixture of joy and excitement and terror, right? Because as a parent, I can tell you when my kids were born, I had joy and excitement and terror. Uh, and, and maybe that was ramped up a little bit, maybe turned up to 11, uh, knowing who their child was, the joy uh, and the fear. But I, I imagine they knew they were probably okay. Uh, I have to wonder, though, when the shepherds walked in the door, I mean, just remember, this is the same night as the baby is born. So Jesus is born. They're in marveling with this child. The, the, the Lord made flesh. And these shepherds walk in, and I wonder if they think, is this going to be safe? 
right? Is this going to be a great thing? Can I get to show off my amazing child, the Son of God? Or is this going to be kind of dangerous? I mean, to see God means you might die, and I've got God in my arms, and if those shepherds walk in, what might happen to those shepherds? Or, or I wonder, um, even, you know, a, a year later or so when the wise men show up and Jesus is a little boy, a toddler maybe, and they, and they say they want to present their gifts to the king, even then I wonder if Mary and Joseph say, gosh, these guys aren't even Jewish. Is it going to be the greatest privilege of our life to show them God? Or will our baby's face be the last face they ever see? And I got to think that Mary and Joseph every time decided, hey, this is risky, but it's worth it. Tonight, I think what we do is risky too. Um, Our interest in coming to see and meet God in the person of Jesus is, is is a downright risky thing, but I think it's worth it. Frederick Buechner has an incredible sermon where he talks about the risk of meeting God in Jesus. And he says this, those who believe can never in a way be sure of Him again. Once they have seen Him in a stable, they can never be sure where He will appear or to what lengths He will go or to what ludicrous depths of self-humiliation He will descend in His wild pursuit of humankind. If holiness and the artful power and majesty of God were present in this least auspicious of all events, this birth of a peasant's child, then there is no place or time so lowly and earthbound, but that holiness can be present there too. And this means we are never safe, that there is no place where we can hide from God, no place where we are safe from His power to break into and recreate the human heart, because it is just where He seems most helpless that He is most strong." and just where we least expect Him, that He comes most fully. I love this idea that the the God who shows up in Jesus Christ shows up in ordinary places. Uh, And once we accept and recognize the fullness of God in Jesus, uh, we know that forever after that, God is always going to be Emmanuel. He's always going to be with us. And there is no place we can go that He is not already there. Uh, at home or at work, uh, in the airport or in the hospital, um, whether we are uh, getting ready for Christmas or going about a normal Monday morning, God is always there. And that is actually kind of risky, right? It changes my life to recognize that I'm always with the one who made me. Uh, Buchner goes on. Actually, I just want to read a little more. He says, for those who believe in God, it means this birth, that God Himself is never safe from us. And maybe that is the dark side of Christmas. He comes in such a way that we can always turn Him down or nail Him up. God comes to us in the hungry people we do not have to feed, comes to us in the lonely people we do not have to comfort comes to us in all the desperate human need of people everywhere that we are always free to turn our backs upon. It means that God puts Himself at our mercy, not only in the sense of the suffering that we can cause Him by our blindness and coldness and cruelty, but the suffering that we can cause Him simply by suffering ourselves. Because that is the way love works. 
And when someone we love suffers, we suffer with them. And we would not have it otherwise, because the suffering and the love are one, just as it is with God's love for us. See, the riskiness of seeing God face to face isn't just a risk for us, it's a risk for God. It's a risk for the maker of all things to become human and a fragile little baby. It's a risk for God to do life with us, to be with us in all those normal everyday places. It's a risk for God to say, I want to care about you personally and know you individually in such a way that when you suffer, I suffer too. And and so I I guess I wonder uh, on this night whether I want to see God, whether I want to look into the face of this baby in whom the fullness of God dwells. Because I know that there's a lot at risk for me and for Him. I'm not sure that after I do this I can go back to my sheep or hop on my camel and ride back home and back to normal or go home and wrap packages and eat Christmas cookies and unsee what I have seen. So sometimes I think we, we simply decide to hide. Right? I read a really interesting article a few weeks ago about the use of war, um, paint in war in ancient societies. And maybe you've seen this, but a lot of ancient societies would paint their faces before they went into battle as a kind of armor. And it wasn't armor that kept them safe from swords or spears or arrows. It was an armor that kept them safe from being identified, from being recognized as themselves, right? So that I could come to you with like a mask on and whatever I do in that war, uh, it's not really me and you don't really know me and I get to keep you and me at a distance, right? We don't, we don't relate face to face and so I can do things maybe I couldn't do otherwise. It seems to me that this is how we use the internet, right? Uh, we go on the internet and we can say things to people on the internet that we would never say face to face because we're at a distance. We, we have some space. Um, and I think there's some dangerous freedom that comes from hiding our face from each other. And it may seem less risky, um, but I fear instead it means we simply lose who we really are. C.S. Lewis has a wonderful little book Um, called Till We Have Faces. And he tells the story of uh, a pagan woman who is super angry at the gods. And um, in the book, she goes on this really long rant about all the horrible things the gods have done. And in the middle of that rant, she sort of hears herself and and she sees herself reflected in her own words. And in that moment, um, she recognizes who she is in a way that she'd never done before. And she says, how can they, the gods, meet us face to face till we have faces? See, until we uncover ourselves, until we stop disguising who we are, until we're willing to be real with ourselves and each other and God, we can't see God face to face. And in fact, it is an incredibly risky, scary thing. John Walton talks about the experience of Jacob wrestling with an angel. Uh, and he says, this is exactly what happens with Jacob, that Jacob can't see God face to face till Jacob knows his own face. When he comes to realize his need for God and the ruins of his bankruptcy, of his self-reliance, each of us must ask what is necessary in our lives for us to see God 
face to face? What reality do we need to learn about ourselves? What sacrifice do we have to be asked to make in order to stand before God and look Him in the face? It may not be self-reliance that we have to recognize. Perhaps it is vanity, perhaps selfishness, maybe greed, maybe need for approval. Whatever it is, our usefulness to God depends on our awareness of it. We cannot expect to look in the face till we have faces. See, God invites us tonight into this incredibly exciting and incredibly risky experience. Um, He invites us to see Him in Christ. What thousands of years of believers have hoped for, we get to do. But the choice to look upon Jesus is absolutely a risky one. It will change who you are. It will change who you think God is. It will leave little room for selfish pursuits. It will transform your theoretical faith into an everyday thing. It will give you and God faces you've never seen before. But it will also prepare you for the greatest joy you will ever imagine. It will equip you to live life the way God designed it to be lived. And one day, when that life is over and you enter into your eternal rest, the last face you ever see will be the one you've always loved the most. For the Word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory as of a Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. Thanks be to Him. Amen.